Do you enjoy our podcasts? Help us to be able to continue creating quality content by visiting our merch store at store.another12.org. You'll find some great merch there, and the best part about it is that a portion of every purchase goes to support the work that we do. Welcome to Drippings from the Honeycomb, the official podcast of Another 12 Ministries. We are so glad that you have decided to join us as we enjoy the sweetness of God's Word one verse at a time. Generally, in this podcast, what we do is we take a single verse and we apply it to a single question. And we look at that verse in context to get a better understanding of the scriptures and to help us learn more about who God is and what his word says for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. But this chapter, Matthew 27, is such a different chapter than any other chapter in scripture that I really felt that it was appropriate in this case to dispense with our traditional format. The subject matter of Matthew 27 is so critically important to all of human history. It is a pivotal point in human history. And rather than simply ask one single question about it, what I would like to do is look at one verse within it and see what this chapter has to say to all of humanity about who Jesus is, why he came, what he did, and what that means for humanity. The verse that I want to look at today is Matthew 27:46, and it says, And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is actually quite a well-known verse. And sometimes the better we know something or the more we've heard it, the less of an impact it actually has on our lives. And that's why I think it is such an excellent verse to take a really deep look at because the reality is that this verse captures a cry of ultimate suffering from Jesus. This cry to his father comes on the heels of some incredibly intense times of prayer that Jesus has just had prior to his arrest in the garden. Times where he has poured out his heart to his father, asking his father to take away this path of suffering that he must walk in, if possible, but at the same time submitting his will to God the Father and saying, I will do whatever it takes to accomplish the mission that we have set out to do, which is bringing salvation to the world. And in the middle of all of this, in the middle of all of this agony, Jesus utters this incredible cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If we think about it carefully, on the cross, Jesus suffered three distinct types of agony. First, there was the obvious agony, the physical agony, this incredible pain from this unbelievably cruel form of capital punishment, this putting to death by being nailed onto a cross. This death above Virtually all other deaths devised by man is extraordinarily inhumane. The pain, the suffering, the agony, the torment of being nailed to a cross is unlike anything in our modern, civilized world today. We just simply don't do this, especially in Western culture, to anyone, no matter what they've done as a crime or what their punishment calls for. This type of execution, centered on suffering, centered on pain, 
The very concept of putting the nails into the body at the points where they were put in was done for the purpose of disrupting main nerve centers throughout the body that caused the maximum amount of pain. The worst part about crucifixion was that it didn't really kill you very quickly. It killed you slowly. Blood loss was minimal if it was done correctly. And the pain that resulted from it was overwhelming. The reality is that as you hung on the cross, you died from asphyxiation because you suffocated from the position and from the exhaustion. The only way to take a proper breath while nailed to the cross was to push up on your feet and pull down on your hands to gain a breath because your diaphragm was crushing your lungs. And essentially what you were faced with was the continuous question of death versus pain. Suffocating to death or experiencing tremendous agony to adjust your body into a position where you would be able to draw just one more breath. This was the horror of agony, physical agony, that Jesus endured on the cross. But it was not the only agony that he endured on the cross. There were two other forms of agony. The second form of agony was substitutionary agony. Jesus, being the Son of God, was perfect and without sin. He had lived a perfect life. He had always been sinless. He had been sinless for eternity, and he was sinless through his human life, never having known sin, never having experienced it from a personal level, because he is God and he cannot sin. And yet at this moment, as he hung on the cross, He was made by the Father to be our sin. He took the place and the punishment and the sin that we committed as a human race was heaped on him and he bore the wrath of God for that sin. This agony of being something that was completely inconsistent with his nature, that violated everything about who he was and is, was a source of tremendous agony for Jesus Christ. See, he'd never known sin. He had never taken part in sin. And now all of the sin of the world was cast on him and he bore the punishment for that sin. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians put it this way, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, Jesus didn't sin. Even when God made Jesus sin, that wasn't his sin. That was our sin. Jesus remains pure, but he allowed himself to be made into the vessel that contained our sin and to bear the punishment for it so that we would not have to bear the punishment for it. And this agony of being made into the thing which he detested more than anything and then bearing the wrath of his father for that thing cannot be overstated. In fact, in many ways, it completely overwhelms the physical agony that Jesus was experiencing on that cross. But as if those two agonies were not enough, a third agony was borne by Jesus on the cross as he hung suffering for the sin of the world, and that was solitary agony. It is one thing to be alone, to be lonely, It is another thing to experience broken relationship, broken fellowship. When a child is separated from a parent through even just the simplest of means, perhaps being lost in a grocery store or lost in a theme park, once that child realizes the separation, the brokenness of relationship that exists because of time and space, 
The sorrow and anguish of that child become immediately apparent to anyone who is there. Now, as the child grows and understands that relationships go beyond physical space and time, that they can exist even when long miles separate two people who are in a relationship, they understand not to cry when they are not in the same room as their parents. But when separation goes beyond time and space, when separation goes past things like death, we are once again confronted with the reality that separation of relationship is an extremely painful thing. It doesn't take much more than to see a distraught husband or wife who has lost their best friend to recognize that the brokenness of relationship which cannot be put back because death stands between the parties is something that brings tremendous anguish and tremendous suffering to the remaining person. Anyone who has loved and lost would tell you that any other pain they were going through in their life during that moment of loss when the relationship with this person that they so deeply loved was broken paled in comparison to the chief sorrow they were experiencing, which was the loss of this beloved relationship. The loss of this fellowship that could now no longer be because death had separated it. Now, even the greatest of human relationships, the most incredible marriages that go the distance of time, extend merely a lifetime. As humans, we celebrate milestones like 10 years of marriage or 25 years of marriage or 50 years of marriage. We may celebrate seeing our children's 30th birthday, 50th birthday, 70th birthday perhaps if we live long enough. And in the scope of a human life, these are long periods of time during which relationships grow deep and flourish. But the cry which Jesus uttered on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me, went so much deeper than 50 years of marriage or 75 years of marriage. As Jesus hung on the cross, turned into our sin, punished for our sin, suffering for our iniquity against God the Father, The father cut the relationship with Jesus because he could not look upon him during the time when Jesus had been made sin for us. And while the wrath of God was advancing against Jesus in punishment for our sin, the relationship had to be severed for that period in time. This was not a break of a relationship that had lasted 50 years or 100 years or a thousand years, or ten millenniums. This was a relationship that had existed in perfect harmony, open communication, no strife, no sorrow, no grief, and it had been continuing since eternity past. In other words, Jesus had never known a moment when the relationship with his Father was not in perfect order. Jesus had never known a moment of true aloneness because he was with God always from eternity past. But in this moment, as he paid our debt on the cross, Jesus experienced true separation from his Father. Not a brief separation, not a separation where during this period everything will be okay, a true break in relationship which would only be resolved through the death of Jesus' human body. And it was this suffering that was the chief agony which Jesus experienced on the cross. This agony of separation from God the Father was so much deeper than the physical agony of the cross or the substitutionary agony of being made our sin because the one person that Jesus had never experienced separation from was God his Father. 
not for all eternity. And in that moment, not only was he separated from him, but he was the object of his wrath. We can never even begin to understand what Jesus experienced on the cross. The physical agony we may be able to comprehend to a certain degree. Certainly, many people have suffered horrendous physical pain. We know other believers were crucified and have been crucified throughout history, have been tormented. We know that many people have suffered severe tortures and torments through wars, through imprisonment, through persecution, through all kinds of ways they have experienced pain. And so pain is not foreign to us and we can begin to understand the physical agony that Jesus experienced on the cross, even if we ourselves have never experienced that kind of physical agony. We might even be able to just very slightly comprehend the substitutionary agony that Jesus was in. We might be able to understand the idea of being punished for someone else's mistake, punished when we actually were innocent ourselves. We might understand the concept of bearing the wrath that doesn't belong to us and the injustice that that is when we experience wrath laid out on us that was meant for someone else. But that understanding, as much as we could possibly understand it, pales in comparison to what Jesus experienced on the cross for our sin. Because the only wrath that we know is human wrath. We do not comprehend bearing the wrath of others before God because Jesus has borne all of that wrath. But no matter what we do, no matter what we can comprehend or what we can think of, we can never understand the agony and the suffering associated with the solitary agony that Jesus experienced on the cross. You see, because God has never turned his back on the human race. In fact, more than that, God has been pursuing the human race since Adam and Eve's rejection in the garden. God has been pursuing the human race with hope, with a solution, with love, with an opportunity to turn from sin and follow him in obedience. And so, on this side of death, no human will ever know what it means to be abandoned, rejected, forsaken by God. The only human on this side of death to have ever experienced such a forsaking is Jesus Christ himself. And his pain and his agony at this moment of total aloneness was evidenced by his desperate cry, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Sometimes, when we do not know or understand something, all we can do is acknowledge how far beyond us it is and give thanks to the one who went through it on our behalf. It is impossible in our finite position to ever understand the full complexity of the agonies of Jesus that he suffered for us. And so the only appropriate response is to bow down before him and thank him for what he suffered on our behalf. We should be moved to our core to know that the God of the universe loves his creation so much that he was willing to endure such agony on our behalf, that he was willing to go through so much suffering so that we could know him, so that we could have a relationship with him, so that we could call out to him and be part of his family. If you are listening to this and you have never 
come to know Jesus as your Savior, I would implore you to consider what Jesus has done for you. To look into the scriptures and to see this incredible gift of salvation that he has made available to you. And to humbly bow your knee before him. Repent of your sin. Acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord and that it is only through him that man can enter a right relationship with God. It is only through him that any hope of salvation is found and that without him, the only future of the human race is death, judgment, and suffering. But Jesus has made a way of escape. Jesus has made a path through which man can cry out to God for mercy. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you declare with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess and are saved. Jesus has paid an unbelievable price for the sin that we have each committed in our lives. What we must do is repent and believe that our hope is found in no one else, other than Jesus Christ. And we must commit our hearts to live lives that honor and serve him with everything that we have. Jesus made no bones about this during his ministry. He did not mince words. He was very upfront with his message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would plead with you to repent to acknowledge Jesus as your Savior, and to enter his family and enter his kingdom by putting your faith and trust in him and giving your entire life to him to serve him. And he will be faithful in his promise to you and will grant you salvation, a future hope of being with him, and a new heart that lives for him even now on this earth. Don't wait. Seek mercy from the throne of God now. Seek salvation at the feet of Jesus. Because as he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Drippings from the Honeycomb. If you would like to learn more about Another 12 Ministries and the work that we are doing to train youth ministry leaders to bring the gospel to young people, visit another12.org. If you would like to support our ministry, click on the donate link in the description below.